Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm your co-host, Menas. I'm joined, as ever, by Paul Dennett, and we have a special guest because the IPL has finished, and now we are on the eve of the ashes. So we've brought on one of our favourites from England who was described by SEN when he was announced as being part of their team as the best radio ball-by-baller in England. So, Dan Norcross, I won't tell Jonathan Agnew what was written about you. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I deeply hope that he doesn't read press releases from SEN. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can uh, say that, the same I won't go down too well. well. Well, one of my co-commentators did did read it and sent me a very wry message uh, and uh, informed me that my new nickname was going to be 4Bs, uh, <laughs> best ball by baller. Uh, so yeah, and, and he incidentally is a much much better ball by baller than than I am, Simon Mann. Absolutely brilliant commentator. So yeah, that that's this is going to be fun when I walk in the TMS studio. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, so welcome. So you're going to be calling the Ashes for SEN and yep. a TMS. So um, Australian listeners are going to hear a lot of you, and you know, just thought would get you on ahead of a busy summer because Paul and I are so excited about what's going to happen. Um, before that, though, we've got the World Test Championship final. I'm just wondering how you see those teams matching up, India v Australia. Oh, I think it's lip-smacking. It's absolutely ideal. Um, honestly, you know, I'm not, not saying this just because I'm an Englishman, but I'm much happier with those two teams because they are undeniably the two best teams man for man in world cricket at the moment. Uh, in Test cricket, it's not to say that England can beat either of them on their day. England beat India last year with Baz Ball, didn't they? Um, but they're just so well matched in terms of seam bowling in English conditions. India are a completely different prospect from what they used to be ten or fifteen years ago. They don't just have like two really good seamers. They've got a battery of four or five. Bumrah missing is a is a shame. Um, Australia it gives us a chance to see what kind of fettle they're in. I see that they've taken the kind of English route of becoming golfers who have a sideline in cricket these days. <laughs> so um, it'll be interesting to see if they're a bit undercooked. I mean, both sides would have had virtually no red ball preparation, but that's just they regret these days, isn't it? I mean, nobody really bothers. England went to Pakistan and won 3-0, and I think, did they even have a practice game? I think they had a few rounds of golf. Um, no, then, no practice games. Yeah. No, none at all. So, uh, I mean, that's the, that's the modern way. And I think, quite genuinely, it's the, the two sides, India in English conditions, might just have a more balanced attack, just. Uh, I'm surprised you said that. Purpose. Well, I think if they, if they do what they should do, which is pick Jadeja and Ashwin every time, then suddenly they've got this magnificently balanced attack with three seamers and two proper spinners. The oval surface does have a little bit of grip. It's not too bad for spin. It's also in the county championship matches I've been seeing, the pitches there are nicely sporty, good pace. It's coming through really quickly. Um, it's, it's kind of perfect pitches, really. They're mm. sort of 300 is gettable, um, but it's also quite a decent score. So, you know, I, I think it could be really in that lovely sweet spot. The weather forecast is pretty decent for it as well. And, you know, watching Smith and Labashane go against Indian seamers in English conditions is just going to give us a really good. Um, it's like a, a, it's more than an amuse bouche, isn't it? I mean, if you've got the Ashes coming up, which we're all obviously really excited about, 
having a world test championship final as the warm-up is quite the warm-up isn't it it's yes. not uh, it's it's not the Lavinia Duchess of Norfolk's 11 at Arundel <laughs> I used to love that game when the Australians used to play there there and um, um but uh yeah this is um I'd love it if India lost in a thriller because I think that's the best thing for test cricket that they that I want India to start to really want this after having lost it to New Zealand um last time but I uh, I think what you're sort of saying is that the Oval may well be close to the best venue in terms of trying to get the a nice little average of Australian and, and Indian conditions. Is that about right? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. I think it'll it'll suit both sides actually. Um, it's, I, I think it's going to be a re- it should be a really good cricket wicket. So it should be a really good game between the like I say the the two very best teams. And I think India's batting is a little bit. More fragile than Australia's batting, I've got to say, especially in definitely. You know, I mean, I watched them in the border Gavaskar, and they the pitches there were were fantastically hilarious. The first three, <laughs> and then when they lost that game in indoor, they got so spooked about their batters being able to hold up against it that they created a road. So I don't think that they've got an awful lot of faith actually mm. in their batting lineup. They've got some great batters, Shubman Gill, fantastic. Um, I mean, he, he really is the real deal. Kohli, we know about. Pujara has been warming up very nicely uh, in county championships, scored a ton of runs. So he's going to be tricky to get rid of. But after that, um, they, they've got a lot of people who can bat, which is why I want them to pick Ashwin and Jadeja, because uh, they actually, I mean, Jadeja in English conditions has done really well with bat and ball. And I just think it gives them, like I say, that that beautiful balance. And Jadeja can bowl dry for a while. One thing to look out for, it'd be fascinating to see the balls that they use. Because last year in England, not to put too fine a point on it, the, the balls were abysmal. Um, there was one innings I was commentating on when it was changed nine times. Wow. I mean, oh, they, they were extraordinary. Uh, apparently, it was a combination of factors. The the guy who stitched them, I didn't realize it was one bloke. <laughs> that's a hell of a job, isn't it? Well, well that's weird. that's Duke's big selling point that they're all hand stitched. So yeah, but by, by the anyone. guys having the guys having a bad day, you're in trouble. <laughs> well, he wasn't just having a bad day; he wasn't there, so they they had to get another stitcher. But also, oh. there was talk that like the quality of the leather wasn't wasn't the same that the cows. Because uh, of a drought, their 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 leather wasn't sufficiently robust. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff about it, but it genuinely was the case. Talk to any of the players about it. That if it was hit hard, it flattened on one side. You know, wow. they were unbelievably soft. What what did happen was that the first 35 overs they held up, and then they just died. That's why, if you were watching any of the games last year in England, um, we had these massive high partnerships for the fifth and sixth wicket mm. because. Once the ball was 35, 36 overs old, Daryl Mitchell, Tom Blundell, Johnny Bairstow, who's developed, he batted brilliantly last year, but he did come in against the older ball that was very soft and very difficult to, to do stuff with. So I'm keeping a keen eye on how the balls hold up. In the county championship this year, they've been better talking to the players if they're using Duke's ball. I generally don't know. I mean, do you know? Are they using a Duke's ball? They're using the Duke's balls in the, in the, yeah. Duke's in the final. Um, so... Yeah, right. and Kookaburra well, had the, Kookaburra had this issue a couple of years ago with their balls um, going out of shape. So they would, you know, they put a little sort of insert in the middle to kind of help them um, weather um, 
you know, weather a bit better and not go as soft. So I wonder if Dukes will have to look into doing something. Um, but, you know, it's interesting what you said about this sort of showpiece World Test Championship final because for me it's like a World Cup final. It's got that feel to it. Mm. I'm so excited about it. Like, and And then there's what you said, the unknown factor. Like, I think Australia are, are slightly better in – England English conditions in India and when Australia played India in 50 over cricket in the past in England I think they've done pretty well but mm. it's the unknown you don't know because you know it's, it's not how often do you get a neutral test match in English conditions so it's such a, a fascinating um, set of circumstances and then that first morning you know if it's a bit cloudy overhead and someone, you know, whoever wins the toss, do they take the gamble, you know, throw the team in um, under, you know, ominous conditions and try and, you know, knock over that top order in the first session and take control of the championship? I'd, I'd be really interested to see that. Ben Stokes would do because Ben Stokes' attitude now is that he wants to start bowling as quickly as possible regardless of what pitch he's on in order to start taking wickets. Mm. You know, and uh, I mean, it was it was it's... Bizarre, you turn up on a cloudless, beautiful, sunny day. Uh, head coin goes up. Stokes says, yeah, we'll have a bowl. You go, what? <laughs> this, is just, this is crazy. But he, he figures they can chase anything. And I think it actually might be the way to go. I mean, early June is still a little bit cool. But what's the key thing to look out for in England at this time of year for Aussies who aren't totally, you know, au fait with our conditions? Um, summer is a very brief window in England. Real summer. It is July. That's where, like, when the ashes have happened. That's when, in theory, um, conditions should be easiest for batting. That's when you get a good two weeks. A good two weeks in July. Well, it's not that the weather's so much better. It's that the ambient temperature is pretty steady. And what creates the awkwardness in conditions, especially for touring sites? They talk about the moving ball in England. Is actually. The disparity. I'm going to get really boring and meteorological with you. No, now. I love it. I, I'm temperatures okay. are my hobbies. This is fantastic. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> it's the difference between daytime and nighttime temperature. So in England right now, we've still got an ambient cold that's come from our long winter. Mm-hmm. So when you go to county championship matches uh, and people think, "Oh, the ball's going to do everything in the morning," it doesn't do anything in the morning because it's actually cold. Yep. Um, the air temperature is cold. The ground is cold. When it does stuff, actually, in sort of May, is around about 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. It's actually the afternoon session because then the air temperature warms up because the sun is quite, when it's allowed to happen, it's quite fierce. The ground is quite cold still. And so you get this lovely convection just above the surface of the pitch. And mm. that is what makes the ball do stuff. Now, in early June, and I'm telling you, it's pretty cold now, it'll probably do that for the uh, the island test that starts tomorrow. It's starting to warm up a bit. So uh, I'm expecting it still to be favorable conditions for bowling and a little bit earlier. So morning times will start to be a bit more like it, like midday, mm-hmm. 11.30, midday, you know, an hour into the first session, it'll start, it'll do stuff, is, would be my prediction. And if I were to win that toss at the Oval and knowing that there are, uh, that there's a spare day and knowing that the pitch doesn't really wear too much, it doesn't like get a lot worse. It's not going to be like those pitches that where you'll see spin coming into it as the days go on, because it's not going to break up. It won't be hot enough to do that. I wouldn't have thought. Um, there's a fairly good, I mean, Surrey have won their games by batting second this year, one by nine wickets each time. Um, and conditions have 
if anything eased but not got worse mm-hmm. um so i would like to bowl first if if i were if i won that toss i just not sure if india and australia are like that i think they're quite conventional in their tactics they play quite conventional test cricket they play it very very well that's why they're the two best sides in the world they can afford to play it because they've got the players to play it you know when you have pajara and you have labashain you have Kohli and you have smith then you kind of don't need to do basball you can just play proper test cricket yeah. real test time. cricket real, real test test. yeah not well, this kind of flashy nonsense that we do yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> but australia also, just you know, the, the, they wear their anti-intellectualism with such pride that if yeah. you gave them that speech, then they'd say, "Listen, mate, we're not interested in t- temperature differentials. We're just interested in smashing balls." Like you know, that's that that, that goes against that. They'd probably bat first, having heard that, just to be um, contrarian. Um, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, I. You know, Tim Payne was walking out. He might bowl first because infamously did that in 2019. Probably cost us the series. Um, before we get into the Ashes, Dan, just a pick. What do you think, India, Australia? If you, you know you had to put a few quid on it, who would you be? Who would you be favouring? If I'm putting a few quid in it, it's Australia. Just because I agree with you that I think that they are better in English conditions than India are. I mean, that said, in the last two five-match series that those sides have come to England, they've each drawn two all. Um, But I think India were 2-1 up against a a worse England side than Australia were, if you know what I mean. So, I mean, it's paper thin. It's paper thin between the two. Um, Somebody gets a big inning. Somebody gets in. 100, 120 could be match-winning innings at the Oval, I would think, on, on that surface. Somebody has a blinder with the ball. And to me, Pat Cummins is the best bowler in the world. Um, English conditions, he's happy with. They don't suit him any more than anywhere else. He's just so bloody yeah. good. It doesn't make any difference. Um, and he'll just Scott see the in bowling in India. Scott Boland. Scott Boland. Well, I know people are very excited about Scott Boland. Scott Boland, for me, is a Lord's bowler. Um, mm-hmm. but on, on but, the slope, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, I think the Oval might suit him. I've seen, seen a lot of Dan Worrell this year at uh, at the Oval, and very similar bowlers. Similarities, yeah, similarities. And and Worrell's Worrell's. Have you heard assistant. my favorite? Have you heard my favorite Dan Worrell story? Um, no, no. Did a lot of, did a lot of research <laughs> for him when I commented England's on Dan him. Worrell. Yeah. Yes, it was probably about eight to eight years ago. And Paul, you might remember this. He was fined for drawing a, a I think a, a penis in a pitch. Um, <laughs> so he was he he was fined for doing that. Um, really? Made the news here. <laughs> what did he, how how that, did yeah. he draw? What did he, what did he draw it with? Like a marker pen well, or yeah, a stick or something? Yeah, a stick. He went and drew a big big knob in the middle of the pitch. Oh, I can't remember man. why. He's even more of a hero to me than before. I, I love Dan Worrell because he's he's like the finishing touch to Surrey's team. One thing I would request, right, and I know you, I don't suppose you've got enough, um, I don't know, authority to make this happen, but please don't pick Abbott because he's like doing wonderful things for Surrey. Oh, yes. And, and you know, I, I, honestly, I mean, he's, he's bowling quite well, but it's his batting. His batting yeah. is fantastic. So don't don't steal Sean Abbott from us. Have Michael Nisa. No one gives a damn about Glamorgan. You can have Nisa. <laughs> and he's well, he, by the way, Nisa and Boland at Lords could be a nightmare. Nisa, Boland, and Cummins. That would be that that would be my pick for uh for that Lords. Would be I don't my think pick as well. 
Yeah, I, I'd yeah. say that'd be my pick for the World Test Championship final as well. Um, given that Hazelwood's got an injury, an injury yep. cloud. But they talk, and I, I know Menes is going to hate me for this, but they talk about um, who should open if they drop David Warner. They could do worse than open with Sean Abbott and just tell him to go out there and swing. <clears throat> well, then, that, that, no, don't, 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 don't entertain that. Don't entertain <laughs> that, Dan. You don't have to be polite because this is then the next show he says Tim David should open the batting in the first test of the Ashes and we're done. So, yeah, honestly, and now i I got to, I got to intervene. <laughs> well, yeah, I want David Warner to play. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. I want him to play right throughout the summer. Uh, and, and, uh, he, he's going to retire after that, isn't he? So, and he's and he's a genuinely great player. He's one of the all-time greats. So, you know, we don't we don't want him off now. We want him to to play through the ashes, uh, adorn it with his charisma, and um, <laughs> and then we can all say goodbye. Absolutely. Plus, the potential alternatives, I don't think, are even as good as Warner in his late stage career. I'd still back Warner over over Marcus Harris for sure. Anyway, what about hey, Travis uh, Dan- Head? I mean, I saw Travis Head <laughs> opening in in India. Very different prospect. I mean, yeah, I'd be okay with that, yeah. with that. The danger is that he's so good down the order. I mean, it it's still I cannot understand of all the selection decisions ever made by any country ever. England have got a few up their sleeve with Gavin Hamilton, maybe, and Darren Pattinson, but but Martin McCaig. leaving Martin McCaig, <laughs> leaving out Travis Head against India to play Matt Renshaw is just one of the craziest things. And because they did it against India, they're never going to make that mistake again. So my feeling is that they will keep head where he should be. Uh, having him in the middle order, you go you go, Labashane, Smith, head, green. That is a formidable middle order. Yeah. And frankly, in English, English conditions, we've discovered that openers are kind of cannon fodder. You don't need to yeah. worry if they get out. It's not really, <laughs> it's no big deal. <laughs> Well, that's exactly. what Kwaja said. He's going over with very um, low, low expectations. Yeah, well, he should do. I mean, he's a very, very fine player, but everybody is kind of equalised by uh, by English conditions with a new ball opening the batting. It's just what it is. <clears throat> it's just... very difficult. So would you say, um, uh, in terms of the build-up to the Ashes, and I know that it's kind of, ever since it went behind the paywall, the, 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 the importance of cricket has dropped. But going back to... In 2005, the build-up was big, but we didn't know what it was going to eventuate to be. It seems to me this is the biggest build-up of for an Ashes series from an England perspective since I can ever remember. Would you? How, how would you put yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely is. And, and the reason for it is, uh, weirdly, my this is my theory, as Anne Elk would say on Monty Python. This is my theory. <laughs> it goes as follows. Um, because cricket went behind the paywall, it became uh, invisible and increasingly irrelevant. So, you know, in India and Australia, cricket is massive and it's a national sport and everybody's invested in it. This means that you guys watch your teams and you get really vexed when you lose. But when England lose, it doesn't really make any waves at all because there are way more important things going on. And so when they won one test match out of 17 uh, and Stokes and McCullum took over, they said, well, the only way anyone's going to watch us or know anything about us is if we go gangbusters to win. We've got to do something to win. And so they've adopted this approach kind of in a way to go, look at me, look at me, look, look, we're a sport too. We can yeah. be entertaining. We can be fun. And so they're kind of incentivized to do that because losing doesn't matter yeah. over here uh, for the England team, anything like as much because they were doing anyway and there aren't that many people watching. So they've got a freedom, a liberation, to go completely berserk and express themselves. The result of that is you get a really nice feedback loop 
So suddenly people are going, oh, yeah, cricket's fun. Even test cricket's fun. They, this team's incredible. And Ben Stokes obviously is a very charismatic character in the centre of it, in the manner in which they play it. So suddenly people are looking at it going, this could, this could be interesting. And they know that Australia are a terrific team. They could very well be world champions by the time England played them, just as New Zealand were, of course, last year when England played them yep. at the start of the summer. So uh, if you add all those things together and it's an odd-numbered year, which all Ashes years are, but that means in England that there's no football tournament, mm. there's no World Cup, there's no European Championships, nothing of that sort. The football season's finally over um, and the BBC has some rights to the 100 as mm. well. So a little bit of cricket is coming back onto free-to-air TV. And so, also they've got some uh, highlights of the test matches as well, I think. Yeah, that's right. BBC. So they've got... That's right. So you've got highlights as well. So you, you're starting to, I mean, there was always free to air highlights on like Channel 5 and what have you, but BBC's just a bigger presence. So yeah. when you turn on your TV to watch other shit, suddenly there's like adverts for BBC cricket podcasts or the cricket coming up. And that just creates a bigger buzz. Um, and then there's, I think, the simple fact that, you know, England have won 10 out of 12 games, and one of the games they lost by one run, which is yeah. the greatest possible way to lose a test match you can ever have. So no one can accuse them of not being exciting to watch. And you're kind of pitting this kind of new idea, which is the English don't do new ideas. You know, let, let's face it, in the rivalry between Australia and England, it was always Australia inventing fast bowlers with McDonald and Gregory. It's Australia inventing great spin bowling it's australia suddenly going at four and over it's australia thinking that fielding mattered while you know english guys with, with cravats, you know they get they get champagne brought out to them on a silver salver when they get to 50 you know that that's how the english have been doing things and, the, and then when england got to number one in the 1950s they did it through being grindingly tedious going at like 1.9 and over so what you've done is you kind of inverted yeah. the two paradigms of the two countries where Australia now look like they're kind of playing traditional test cricket in the way that they always have done. And the English... And I will say, I will say, Dan, we're turning our nose up at your uh, yeah, jazz ball. quite right bit. too. In, in a yeah. true English uh, character, we're turning our nose up at what you're doing to... And that's part of it. That's, I'm that's not, part of I reckon the trick, you see? You see? I reckon I, I've got a theory as well that... Um, Adam Gilchrist had this theory that um, he was happy batting at seven because he said, if I bat at seven, I'm judged on my keeping and any runs I score is a bonus, which I think is not true. But if he thought that, it then yeah. freed him up and he could come out at number seven and play com with complete freedom. And the results were extraordinary. I think that's what the England one through seven now have a feeling of, that they can go out and just play with freedom. And more often than not, occasionally you do collapse, but more often than not, that probably is the most pragmatic way of actually playing test cricket. Well, well, yeah, I think it might be nowadays, especially because there's a couple of things that's happened. You know, we've, we've talked, I'm sure you have endlessly about the effect of white ball cricket on players techniques. Now Stokes's basic plan with McCullum is that, yeah, defensive techniques aren't quite what they were. So you're quite likely to get out to a good ball at some point. Wouldn't it be that good if you scored 40 by the time yeah. you've done that, <laughs> rather exactly. than scored eleven, and I'll give you I'll give you a perfect example of this. Right, this is how this is uh, Basball in in one analogy really with two Test matches when England played against Pakistan in Abu Dhabi in two thousand and twelve. I think it was 
Um, they were set 140 to win, and they limped to 76 all out in 42 overs. I think. Wow. <laughs> now the other the other day the other day was December. I was in Karachi. It feels like only yesterday. Doing the game, England was set 185 to win. Um, there were going to be an absolute maximum of 19 overs available that night on the third day of a test match in Pakistan. Any other England team at that point would have said to themselves, well, if we can get to like 42 for one, that'll give us a good platform the following day. Stokes tried to win the game that night. <laughs> he, he put himself up the order and swung for the hills. They didn't manage it, you know, but they ended up needing about 40 odd to win the next day. And they did it easily. They weren't, they didn't see 190 chase against Pakistan as a, oh, that could be a little bit awkward. Let's be careful. They were thinking we could get two days on the golf course. Now, <laughs> this is lunacy. And, and another, another example which works perfectly is against New Zealand, two years apart, 2021 and 2022. Kane Williamson sets Joe Root's England mm. 273 to win in 70 odd overs. They were 50 for none off 32 overs at T. I watched it. Oh, it was horrible, 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 horrible to watch. The following year, well, you know, Joe Root's reverse sweeping for six. Um, I mean, it was actually the slowest of their chases, and he went at about four and over to win that one because Ben Folks actually played like a proper test match innings at the other end to keep Root company. But the idea was get on with it. The fewer overs you need to get to the target, the fewer wicket-taking balls get bowled. And yeah. there is a kind of logic. I this. think there is, yeah. And it's more um, I think it's a more acute logic, Paul, for England because they don't have players like Smith, Labashane, Pujara, Coley. You know, Root is the only one, really. The rest of them are they're they're very good white ball players and they're very aggressive. They they hit lovely balls, but you don't really, you know, if you you know the, the classic who do you want batting for your life? Well, it it isn't any of them, really. True. <laughs> But even with so, that, I, I sometimes look at when Smith fails and uh, I often think if he'd been more aggressive, he would have been more likely to succeed. Occasionally, Smith will come out and because he's so good and he can just bat time, occasionally he doesn't get balls to score off and he's like, well, I'm just going to um, I'm going to assume that eventually I will get the runs and sometimes they don't. So I think even with him, sometimes being a bit more aggressive would be better. I can be one of the few idiots that can say, I watched that first game against New Zealand. Um, suffered through that, but then a year later, because I actually had a job there, and I didn't watch the second one, so I kind of um, I've missed all <laughs> the excitement. Hey, um, one other thing, just on this one, um, when I eventually write my gambling autobiography, it's going to be called "Laying the Draw," the Paul Dennett story, as in on Betfair, I like to bet that it won't be a draw. Uh, surely this summer, I am going to clean up. Um, if 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 that's the attitude that Stokes is going to go, is he going to do anything silly like Michael Clark style, like back in um, twenty thirteen, declaring when? Really, there's no prospect of winning, almost handing it to the opposition on a platter. Will he even do that in the ashes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it will make no difference to him what, what the uh, what the competition is. Uh, check the weather forecast, do do that because, um, <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> England is a little capricious in that way, but that's the only it's the only way you'll get a draw. You know, he's basically said that you know, if they're set 600 to win in 60 overs, they'll go for it, and and they would. It's that's utterly awesome. absurd, you might think, but they would. So that's why I think Australia's best tactic is to play their own game and and, and suck England into it because England's policy is not subtle. <laughs> it is absolutely <laughs> not. It is they must win at all costs. Their, their declaration at Rawalpindi 
uh, united everybody I know in like what the fuckery. Like, what are you doing <laughs> on the flattest track in the world, setting 340 to win in a day and half a session? Well, blow me down if they didn't win with five minutes to spare. So, wow. you yeah. know, they're kind of encouraged in their uh, bravery by the results of their bravery. Mm. So, in the course of five test matches, I don't see that changing. They could get blown out of the water in one game, like they were by South Africa, and they'll they'll just do the same thing again because they've got a memory of it working yeah, yeah. ten times out of twelve, and actually. It should have worked the eleventh time. They lost yes. those three quick wickets, and and Root ran out Harry Brook for without facing. So you know, they they kind of outplayed New Zealand in that game as well, and they just brilliantly managed to lose while enforcing the follow on. So you know, the, the the this it's comedy. The, the the greatest comedy team in the world right now. And <laughs> look, I suppose for shits and giggles, one day Stokes might like defend for half an hour. And then wink at the camera, and then just <laughs> tee off. You know, <laughs> I mean, he, he actually he actually can play a very defensive game. I mean, people forget well, he did it, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, he, he barely hit the ball off the square for the first couple of hours, and then obviously we all know what happened. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back with more with Dan Norcross. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menes. I'm with Paul Dennett, and we are joined by BBC and SEN's Dan Norcross from his home in London. Dan, uh, we were speaking before the break about, you know, the, this baseball brand. I mean, I think one thing that Australians, you know, Australian cricket fans, casual fans, I mean, they remember this England team as being absolutely humiliated again two summers ago. And... They've completely transformed since then. So I guess, you know, who are some of the, the really exciting players that have emerged probably since the last Ashes that we should be really looking out for? Right. Well, you've got, basically, you've got two categories here. You've got players that were playing but were bedeviled by <laughs> uh, fret and fear. Like a, a great example is Ollie Pope, right? Ollie yeah. Pope. I've seen a lot of Ollie Pope, and I assure you, he is a terrific player. What you saw in Australia was a guy who had moved so far outside off stump that he was bowled behind his legs and caught nicking off to a ball that was almost could have been given a wide if he'd been standing in his normal position. He, his, his brain had got fried. And there was a talk of him actually wanting to fly out Vikram Solanke, his coach at Surrey, to come and help him. The current England setup, they don't care about technique. They don't talk about technique. You know, except the bowlers. The, bowl, the bowlers pretend they're inventing new balls all the time and, you know, say they're having great fun on the next, you know, a la Shane Warne. <laughs> but the batters, they're told, unclutter your thoughts, forget technique. You're, you're good enough to hit a ball really hard, do that. So you've got rejuvenated players like uh, Ollie Pope. You've got slightly changed players like Joe Root. I would argue he really didn't need to change, but he, he has. So he's being more aggressive. You see a different style of Joe Root you'll see a different style of Ben Stokes. You mentioned uh, how he can play a defensive innings. Um, I think he's decided that that's not his way. I mean, he just walks down the wicket to mm. Kyle Jamieson. Who the hell does that? He's got the <laughs> highest release point in world cricket. You know, it's, it's madness. Uh, you mentioned so, Joe Root. I mean, he was broken last Ashes too. I mean, he's mm. just a wonderful player, but he looked exhausted. The the stress of being England captain yeah. had just worn him down. So, um, well, yeah, I love had, watching he, that. He, he had a, he had an issue with, with COVID as well uh, because the England management had decided that they were going to manage 
COVID. And I mean, every every team had this issue. England played more cricket than anybody else. So it's, it was a bit more acute. But for example, when they won the game, they won two test matches in Sri Lanka. They went to Chennai, beat India. They were on a roll. His captaincy felt like it had momentum. And then what do they Play. do? They like change half the team and, and send them away. So, you know, I don't think he was given the best support. And also the fact is that he's not a particularly natural captain. You know, Ben Stokes is a man of extraordinary charisma. Joe Root is a guy who's very funny, very dry, very intelligent. But I don't think he particularly enjoyed it. And, mm. you know, what Brendan McCullum's all about is bringing enjoyment back. And that's why I mean that you've got different, you've got players who are the same players, but are different now. Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, they genuinely love playing cricket now more than ever before. I promise you, I've spoken to them, spoke to them at Headingley last year. And Jimmy Anderson told me he's he's never enjoyed playing cricket more. And I was very sceptical. It's like, you know, is this just for the media? Is this just bullshit? And <laughs> he, he fixed me with his eyes. No, no. Honestly, he's never been happier. So that creates a different kind of player from the, the ones you think you know, but they're mm. a bit different. Then you've got the guys that you don't know. Um, Matthew Potts, very interesting bowler. Uh, very English bowler. Yes. Um, you know, you talk about Boland and Nisa. He's kind of England's Boland stroke Nisa in English conditions. You've got, I should have mentioned the rejuvenated Ollie Robinson. You saw an Ollie Robinson who was frankly unfit and, and shamed for being unfit by his own coaches. Now he's like lost a lot of timber, is a lot stronger, bowls longer spells and is devastatingly good in English conditions. His record is absurd in England, not just in test cricket, but in county cricket. So he's a kind of McGrathian kind of bowler yeah. for English conditions. Very high, second highest release point in world cricket behind Jameson. So he gets, he'll nip it back and they will attack Smith and Labuschagne on the inside and outside edge. They'll look to bring the ball back into those two as they move across their stumps. And he's going to be perfect for that. So if he stays fit, he'll be a key point of difference. You'll see a different Robinson from the one you saw in Australia. Then you got the new players. Well, Duckett is an unknown quantity against top quality pace bowling in English conditions opening the batting. But then everybody is. Like yeah. I, I always find it hilarious when you read Crickviz stats and somebody from Crickviz, you know, is very serious because they think that all of cricket is actually played out on a computer algorithm. And they say, well, you know, Rory Burns against Shaheen Sharafridi, that's a fantastic matchup because Rory averages 72 against left arm pace. Well, no one averages 72 against Shaheen Sharafridi with a bright new red ball in English conditions. So you can take your left arm pace and throw it out the window because <laughs> what you're dealing with is actual players who are very, very, very good. And you can categorize them any way you want. But Pat Cummins is a very, very, very good bowler. And the way you're going to get Ben Duckett out is caught at second slip, third slip gully. He likes to cut. He'll stay on the back foot. He's a very good back foot player. But extra pace and bounce, that's the way to get him. Crawley, Crawley's unchanged. You don't need to, you don't even think about Crawley. Crawley will play some beautiful cover drives. Um, and you'll think, ultimately oh fail. And ultimately fail. Yeah, I'm sorry <laughs> to say. So, uh, and they'll stick with him <laughs> because, he's, because he's been picked as an impact player. That's basketball for you. We have an impact <laughs> opener. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious. Then you've got a couple that, um, you might be less familiar with Harry Brook. So Harry Brook is a very, very exciting prospect. Mm. He's not didn't have a brilliant IPL. No. And we've only got seen 100. 
Yeah. That, We've that, was, seen it, that was about it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, English pitches, look, he's going to be, he knows them, he's familiar with them. Um, but again, against really good bowling, but they're having, they're putting him down the order a bit. So he'll probably come in at five. If he doesn't come in until that ball's got a bit softer, he can be game-changingly dangerous. And yeah. Australia will need to be mindful of that um, and just know that he's going to attack. Uh, but, like I say, you know, he's kind of carved his reputation on flat decks in Pakistan. He did it in the T20 series that then propelled him into the Test series where he was unmatchable. And on those pitches, he's just impossible to, to keep quiet. But I'm, I don't know. Now, Johnny Bairstow's come in as keeper at number seven. And you're probably familiar with the stat that he's uh, only ever scored 100 as wicketkeeper for England oh. when no, they I didn't bat know that, first. Only when right. they bat first. So when they bat second, he never gets 100. It could be a different Johnny Bairstow. So do, do you agree with this decision then, Dan? Put, put your critical hat on for a minute. Should England be hiding you know, such a player that's been such a, a match winner in the last year. I mean, he could do a Brad Haddon and come in and save a few innings or, you know, he could be left not out with, you know, yeah. Jimmy Anderson being bowled well, at the other end. England's tail is is very, very weak. You know, there, mm. there isn't really any batting from 8 to 11. Uh, yeah, I was going to say how much England. Jimmy is going to enjoy his cricket when, like, Stark's bowling bounces into his, you know, rib cage, and David Warner's chirping at him from first slip <laughs> and Marnus is yapping away. And Well, he'll reverse sweep. Uh, <laughs> he'll, he'll try to reverse From square leg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yes, he probably won't enjoy that part of it too much. Um, so I think it's a, it was a very, very difficult decision to make, actually. I wanted to see folks with the gloves, mm, and I wanted to see somebody else open other than Crawley. Uh, the only problem was there was no right solution because Stokes to open, well, he sacrificed himself in so many other ways, but does that seem crazy? Brook to open, he's carved his career from being further down the order. Ollie Pope's never done it, and England have finally found a number three with a degree of consistency, so you don't want to throw that away. Joe Root has done it before, absolutely does not want to do it. So you've got an, an Orbesto himself. Then you're asking a guy who's gone berserk at number five to go in and open, which sounds kind of crazy. So mm. they didn't have a solution to it, really. And I think the solution they've come up with uh, is as wrong as every other solution that they would have had, <laughs> which means it's also as right, <laughs> if you see what I mean. It gets so, everybody you know. in there, but... It gets everybody in there except poor old folks. I mean, folks will come back when they play India and they need a, a guy who can stand up. And, uh, and but your best is scrappy, you know. He's, he's sort of the guy. I think a guy you, if you're England, you want in the contest because you know he'll get into it with the Aussies. He's he's done it before. He played beautifully at the SCG last time in the last Ashes. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, he'll 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 certainly get into it. Don't worry, England will lose five wickets pretty quickly. It's just they, they might have scored 200 by then or they might have scored 100. You know, if it's these soft balls, as you were talking about before, you know, he can come in and, um, you know, take take advantage of that. Yeah, he just needs someone to bat with him. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right about the tail. But I think the feeling is that folks can't, doesn't want to bat aggressively and quickly, he bats at his own pace. So... If you've got a situation where the tail can get blown away by Cummins, Boland, Hazelwood, if he comes back, Stark, um, 
then you need somebody who can score quickly, who's batting with them, so that at least if he only gets 30 balls, he might score 40 runs, rather than if he faces 30 balls, he'll only get like 14 runs. And so th- again, there's a kind of basball logic to it. That's why he's there. And also because they desperately want him back in the side and they can't get rid of Brook. It's a kind of a pincer movement for folks that Bairstow was so good in England's summer and Brook was so good in England's winter. Neither of them could be dropped. So that's that's where they're at. Um, yeah, I think you'll enjoy watching Brook bat. How how long for will depend on, you know, when he comes into bat, I think. He, he famously came here and played for the Hurricanes and could barely score a run. Um, yeah. So these train fans haven't seen the best of him. He's very hit and miss. Um, you know, in the IPL, he, you know, he made that fabulous hundred, but then was looked out of his depth for a lot of it. And as you say, those wickets in Pakistan, I'm not saying it's easy to bat on, but they're probably the fat, flattest decks in test cricket. So if you're going to score some he quick can, hundreds. He can play his game on those pitches because the ball doesn't deviate too much. And I spotted it also, you know, in Australia in the T20 World Cup. He'd come off the back of being brilliant against Pakistan. But your pitches in the T20 World Cup were wonderfully varied across the country. Melbourne was really tricky. Adelaide was a belter. Um, and he, he did struggle when the when the pitches were awkward. But then, like, that's the point, isn't it? Really good bowling mm. on really good pitches. You've, it, Like I say, it's not played on a computer. You know, that's the point of having really good bowlers, and that's the point of having testing. Paul wishes, I think Paul wishes it was playing on a computer sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it would make life easier for all concerned, especially if you were betting. But yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's, I mean, thank you. That was a great insight into the way the team has has come on. And you know, when I look at this series, one thing that really j- jumps out to me is both teams are better than they were in the last Ashes in 2019 in England. I think the Australian team's got better. A lot of their players have developed. We've talked about England. So it really is set up for a really uh, great contest. Paul, have you got anything you'd like to ask, Dan? I was just going to mention with Harry Brook, I suppose the interesting thing is that it's true that he's got all these runs in test cricket at a strike rate of almost 100 on relatively flat pitches. His overall first-class record of of 41 is pretty good. And looking at him, I've just got his figures up. 2018, he averaged 25. 2019, he averaged 21. Didn't play all that much in 2020, averaging 43, then 37. And then in, 20, in 2022, he averaged 98 in England. You know, he's only 24. I, I don't know. Is, is he a superstar on the rise? And, and you, could, you could look back at someone like Steve Waugh or Michael Clark and see a similar sort of rise? Or is he always going to be just a sort of a... Uh, well, for want of a better term, a flat-track bully? I think he's more the former. Um, You know, I mean, don't forget that learning to bat in England, Mm. you you gave his figures in like 2018, that's five years ago, when he was 19 years old. Yeah, and and there's been a steady improvement ever since. And it's extremely difficult. I mean, Ollie Pope is one of the few people who has uh, averaged 50-plus at that kind of age in England. And part of that is because he was playing at the Oval and the Oval pitch is true. It's not a belter of a pitch, but you know, if you've got a good technique, you can score runs there. Whereas Harry Brook was playing uh, sometimes in, you know, in, in more testing conditions uh, up North as well, early season when they'd have played him. So his overall figures are going to be slightly depressed by that. I think he is uh, a, a generational player for England just because of the way he strikes the ball you know you can sort of tell you, you'll you'll know this feeling when you like when you saw Mark War for the first time 
cream a cover drive, and you think, oh my god, that the timing on that is amazing. It's like where yeah. his foot and his hands are, and the, at the point at which he addresses the ball is all perfect. And Brooke can make you purr. Now, whether he becomes that, there's a lot of other factors. I mean, we all know that uh, white ball cricket is is becoming supreme. There's every chance that Harry Brooks going to end up playing an awful lot of that and an awful lot less mm. um, red ball cricket. So that's going to change his development. Whereas, you know, Ollie Pope has played five county championship matches, I think, for Surrey already this year. You know, people like him, a guy called Jamie Smith and Will Jacks, both of whom also play for Surrey, they're the kind of people that I can see in two or three years' time forming the, the backbone of England's batting. Whereas Brook might end up you know, getting a five million pound contract for an IPL franchise and go around the world playing that. I, I sincerely hope not because he's terrifically entertaining. Um, this series will tell us a lot won't it, mm. about his development. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, w- one thing that's really helpful with Harry <clears throat> Brook is, and I mean this in the very nicest way, um, he's not a man who I think spends too much time on introspective analysis. Um, got a touch of the Colin de Grandoms to him in that respect. And I think he, from from interviews I've heard and from people who've interviewed him that I've heard, is he's got a pretty basic view of cricket, which is that he really enjoys playing it and he really enjoys hitting a ball. And I don't think that he's going to, you know, you get him out a couple of times, I don't think he's going to go, oh, my God, the, the heat of the battle's got to me. He's going to go, oh, I let him. <laughs> go out and try and whack the next one. So uh, having that kind of sim- simplistic approach it can be very helpful actually in the ashes because the ashes as we know is a lot of smoke and mirrors isn't it that's a beauty mm. of five test series it's pretending that you got in someone's head i mean i i for example i want to ask you a couple of questions i mean i have Go a theory it. about how to get rid of manus labashane and i want to know if this is crazy or not all right manus strikes me as a man who is eternally curious about everything so like you know people say he talks too much well he doesn't talk too much. He's just like, when he's out there, he says, oh, gee, that advertising hoarding, that's like, uh, that's a really weird colour, don't you think? And, uh, oh, that, that cloud, that looks strangely like Greenland to me. You ever been to Greenland? And, <laughs> so my theory is that the best way to get Marnus out is between overs for a couple of England players just to be going past him and saying something, you know, strange. Did, did you see that, that, that male manatees lay eggs? Don't you think that's strange? And Martin said, what'd you say? What'd you say? <laughs> Manatees like eggs, it ruined bloody hell. Jeez, well, who knew? Fuck. Oh. And then before you know it, you got him out. That, that to me is the only way to get inside Marnus's head. I think you've got to stick to cricket, though. It's got to be, uh, rather than male manatees, it's got to be, uh, did you say that in a pre-season game in, in Brisbane grade cricket, such and such a side did this or did that? I think that's... Oh, okay. or something like, oh, did you see Steve Smith out for dinner with Joe Root last night? And then all of a sudden, man, is very jealous. And um... gotcha. Okay, okay, I like that. All righty. So, and, and how do we get? How do we get Steve Smith out? Because in England, look, look, I think the most underrated hundred of all time is his hundred and forty-two. Was it at Edgebaston in the first Test when England were on top in that game, oh, massively yeah. on top? It's one of the greatest great innings yeah. I've ever seen in my life. Me too. Um, and it and it began a series, yet another series of Steve Smith against England, with England having no clue how to get him out. Now, Ben Stokes will have a million plans, and, and if a plan doesn't work for fifteen minutes, he'll change it. 
10 minutes even. Two balls. If Honestly, there's there's a kind of ADHD quality to England in the field at the moment. How would you get Steve Smith out? I think with Smith, I mean, they've, they've tried um, with some success sides have had that kind of short ball um, technique. Wagner did it quite well for New Zealand. I think what the side, what they've made mistakes, I remember in, in 2019 watching England where they'd give him those easy singles off the hip, uh, you know, they'd have a deep square leg and I thought that was wrong. I think they should go to Glenn McGrath's uh, advice, which I always thought was very neat the way he said it, that he likes to bowl defensively with attacking fields. Um, so you get your... Um, you slip from the gully in, you, you have no one deep back, but you just bowl third, fourth stump um, very boringly and wait for the batsman to make a mistake. I, I think that's simplistic, but that's probably what I'd be doing with Smith. Don't know if it would work. Well, he's going to be absolutely key, I think. Uh, yeah, I've got uh, a theory about Smith. Case. I've got a theory about Smith that he's just actually shown in the last year or two signs of fallibility with his concentration, like he might actually get himself out that I don't think that would have happened a few years ago when he was at the peak of his powers. So, um, you know, he can be looking really good and then he just plays a bad shot. And we haven't seen that very often from him in the past. So, yeah, I think that, you know, he's he's been playing test cricket for just over 10 years now. This is a really important phase for him. I mean, we've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of batters at this stage of their career just taper off a bit, doesn't, couldn't be drastic, but it might just sort of, you know, go from sort of below Bradman like now to to just mortality. So I actually think that a you've got Anderson and Broad who could get him early with the Jaffa, but then if he loses patience, like he slashed at wide ones a couple of times in the Tour of India, and he played one terrible shot against the spinners, and it was just like you, you didn't see him do that three years ago. So um, I think Steve Smith, will, if he's going to fail, he'll get himself out a lot. Um, otherwise, I think he's determined to just make this a massive tour for him. Okay, and my so my other question is around Cameron Green. <clears throat> I've seen I've seen him a fair bit in Australia, and I've seen him in India, uh, and I'm impressed by what he does. But I wonder in England, well, how do you think his technique is going to hold up in England? Because he does have a, a touch of the lurch. To him, I mean, he's, he's not dissimilar to Zach Crawley in a way, and I mean, coming in at six is a good place for him. The ball will be a bit softer, the ball is a bit more tired. But how do you think he's going to hold up in English conditions? I think his biggest problem is that he's never played there before, and that with this, you know, with absolutely no preparation other than the World Test Championship final, you'd sort of think it would be, you know, the whether it's all outdated now, but Greg Chappell said that he was successful in England in what, 1972, because he'd had a couple of seasons in county cricket. And that I don't know if you can replicate that, 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 that he's, yeah, he's great in Perth. He's great. Um, he's, he, he developed into India. Um, I don't know. I, I think he's the real deal. I, I think he's potentially the, the best Australian player of the next generation of this, of this coming generation. Uh, but it's going to be very difficult for him, I think, in the first couple of test matches. Um, if he could, if he scores 100 in the first test match or so, then I'd be like, well, um, my already very high expectations of him would be would even be exceed. He obviously would exceed them. And with him a... in the sorry, with with him in the side, and and obviously going to bowl. And I fancy English conditions might suit his bowling. Mm. Incidentally, um, does that mean that Australia are able to rotate? Seamers. I mean, Pat Cummins is going to have to play every one, which is you'd think. I don't know that he will necessarily. Really, you think not? I I think that I think ideally they would like him to, but with six tests in seven weeks, um, including the World Test Championship final, 
I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of erred on the side of caution. And if, if midway through the series that it's a back-to-back test match, they might say, actually, Steve Smith can captain this one and, and, and he can sit out. I, I think that they would... They don't want to do that, but I think they'd do it if they had to without too much compunction. So the the others that would be rotated, you're looking at Nisa Boland Stark. And you, Abbott, uh, uh, your man Abbott. You we're going to pluck him get, from Surrey. We are, we're going to pluck him from Surrey. You can oh, give our New South Wales get player back. Get away, get away, get away. I love his moustache and his lovely uh, hair. Lustrous uh, hair. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about Cam Green, but did you see Abbott's 100 off 34 balls on the weekend? I did. Yes, I did. Oh, it was brilliant. I mean, it was quite yeah. cross-batted, um, and it was it was plonk foot down, hit ball over deep mid-wicket for six. Uh, but he did do it over and over again, <laughs> which right. was, was sen- it was sensational. And when he took down Kane Williamson, who I love Kane Williamson because I've never Richardson? seen... Williamson? Yeah. Kane Richardson. Oh, yeah, yep. Sorry, yep. Yeah, your, your oh. guy. He's, he's one of my favourite um, fast bowlers because he smiles. Uh, no, fast bowlers don't smile. He smiles all the time. When he comes in, he smiles like he's got a plan. And he's, he's actually I went out first. to a press con I went down to a press conference once with Richardson and had a nice shirt on. And he said to me, Oh, that's a really nice shirt. And like no cricketer ever says anything like that to you. Like, <laughs> you're you're right. He's a happy guy. Um but on, lovely, Cam, lovely guy. on Cam Green, the thing about him, he's got a beautiful straight bat and he plays in Perth and he hits through the line. I guess the challenge for him is can he just pull his hands back a foot and wait for the ball in England conditions? And he's very smart. He thinks he's, you know, he's a big guy, but he's very thoughtful. And I think he can do it. I really do. And I think I'd like to see him take a, a, a bit of a leaf out of his bowling for his batting and vice versa. His batting, I think he needs to be a little bit more aggressive. And his bowling, so often they get him on and bowl bounces because of his height. I just think, especially in England conditions, I know I'm saying the same thing again, but he should be line and length in English conditions and he could be very effective. But yeah, um, I think he can do it. In terms of the bowling, who they're going to rotate, um, I think if if they're all fit, then it'll be Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood. But Hazelwood's got a question mark over his fitness. I think Boland is the, the likely first sort of cab off the rank replacing him. Um, and I think Nisa will play a part at some point during the series. But beyond those, I think those are the. I don't think Abbott will play, and I think that those are the only. Um, can you see any other fast bowler playing? Other obviously Green as well. But of the three specialist fast bowlers, can you see anyone else, Menace? No, I can't, and I do have doubts about Hazelwood. I can't see him playing more than a couple of tests. The way his body's been going the last few years, so I think he'll be one that they'll. They'll be prudent when they use him. All right, now, Dan, we've kept you for a long time. We're going to take a quick break, and then we just I just want to have a quick little reminisce with you about some of your favourite Ashes memories to wrap this episode up. Sure thing. Oh, well, it's the end of our Ashes preview, number two, and we're joined by Dan Nolcross and... Um, Dan, I want to ask you, what's your first Ashes memory? Let's start there. Well, my first, okay, this isn't an Ashes memory. This is an England-Australia memory. My first, it's Australia-England. Mm, it's England, test. 79-80. No, no, I wish. <laughs> I, I, I'm too old for that to be my first memory. Not the 1883 test. No, it was the, the Melbourne the Melbourne centenary test, which Australia yeah. won spookily by the exact same mm. margin as they won the very first test. And I remember it because I was listening on the radio at night, like you'll have to do, 
Um, it's great that we both have to share this inhumane experience, um, especially since, you know, like we're basically the same. Why on earth did we choose? Why didn't we like colonize South Africa better instead? Because it's on the <laughs> yes. same time zone, you know, I just, oh, it's so annoying. Anyway, um, so it was like, I don't know, about 2.30 in the morning and I was seven years old coming up to eight and England had bowled Australia out for a memory is 118 something like that something like that yeah and um I went to woke my dad up um and it turned out that he was already awake lying in bed next to my mum listening to his own transistor radio <laughs> uh, and he kind of knew he was like shh don't wake her up. Um, and we were really really excited only to then like finally fall asleep and wake up with England having been bowled out for 90 so (laughs) so I instantly understood the nature of Australia England's ashes which is you get really excited about something and then you're utterly deflated by uh by by the equal opposite experience uh but my first ashes series my first ashes series that I recall was 1977 and it uh, really came to a head when Boycott came back. And I think probably that Trent Bridge test in 77 when he ran out, Derek Randall, uh, Randall playing on his home ground, Boycott having come back from self-imposed exile. Uh, and he came back with a bang, didn't he? I think he got 100. Um, and the drama of it. And I didn't really understand who Boycott was because, you know, he hadn't played for England in my conscious memory. My first test series that I remember was 76 against the West Indies, Michael Holding at the Oval and whatnot. Um, so this guy was kind of mythical to me. This is a bloke that my, my granddad used to talk about because he was from Yorkshire. And out he came with these like really thick forearms, but he just looked like looked like a fairly ordinary guy with big forearms and was supposed to be really boring. But I was transfixed by the fact that nothing Australia could do could get past him. He just like his bat was three times wider. And... I, I loved it. Uh, and then, of course, both of them arrived and picked up Pfeiffer on his debut. So uh, my first Greg memory Chappell is... Greg was his first wicket. And, well, exactly. And, and Greg Chappell playing Jagged and Rod on. Marsh playing and being told about all those great Australians. So I was sort of really close to Lillian Thompson without seeing them in, in 74, you know. Um, and I was just coming off the runoff of that. And then my experience of Ashes as an English boy was because 7980 didn't count for some bizarre reason um quite literally didn't wasn't for the ashes was it uh no. was england winning you know they won 3 yeah. nil in 77 they won 5-1 against a pack of depleted aussies in 789 um and then 81 happened and my kind of expectation was oh england play australia and win uh and it couldn't have been more silly, really, could it? <laughs> well, it kept going for a few years. You got eighty-five and eighty-six, seven. Um, yeah, then, yeah, yeah, but then, but then, but then, <laughs> well, 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 two thousand and five. <laughs> I mean, you will never know what that feels like. Eighteen years. I mean, granted, Australia hasn't won a Test series in England in twenty-two years, but they have drawn series to retain the Ashes. Yeah. You know, whereas. We we just England didn't have a Scooby for all that time. They weren't even in it. There was that one Test match. They won at Edgebaston in '97 to take the lead in the series, and never been ahead in the series any other time before that and after that until they yep. won in, eight, in 2005. So, um, you know, th- that didn't stop me having great memories of Australians. The um, Marsh Marsh Taylor partnership that went on forever. Oh, so oh, good. Yeah. 
And the next day, that when they so finally good. got a wicket, David Gower had a glass of champagne, raised a toast at lunch to our, to our first wicket. I think yeah. that was pretty. <laughs> exactly, and, and, and you know, you got to if you if you liked cricket and you're English, you had to learn to appreciate the qualities of your opponents because England <laughs> weren't particularly good for quite a long time, and Australia were so good that it actually the Ashes was one of those things I think for me which has taught me something which you wouldn't have I wouldn't have got otherwise which is that you may really want something to happen you may want England to to win the ashes because it's hard not to get invested in this contest but um the contest itself is so fantastic the players that are involved are sometimes so so good that you can still want something and go bloody hell I've just seen Shane Warne bowl about as well as a human being can bowl I've just watched Glenn McGrath hit a small handkerchief for an hour and be unplayable. I've just witnessed, you know, Ricky Ponting, Mark War, bat yeah, in the most yeah. sensationally beautiful ways. And so it sort of taught me um, not that, that what you want and what you get don't always have to be in conflict. You know, you, you can find that actually you've got a great deal out of losing. That's how I felt <laughs> because... in 2005, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing series, wasn't it? I mean, it's just oh, still, yeah, objectively amazing, you know. My hey, ashes memory. Sorry, oh, sorry, man, as you go. No, I was just going to say my Ashes memories, Dan, are the opposite to yours because my first Ashes <laughs> memory is 89 Ashes. And it really is when Steve Waugh just hit that 100 where he sort of square drove one out to deep point and made his first test century. So, you know, I went for a long time thinking the opposite, that England just couldn't play cricket. And then yeah. I was sadly mistaken. Um <laughs> just, just, on, um, just on Shane Warne, you mentioned him. I, I'm just curious what an impact I guess he had on you and your summers. Oh, massive! I mean, when he was a player and when he was a broadcaster, they're different sort of impacts, but they were absolutely enormous. When he came, the free song of excitement when he was going to be playing, not so much in '93 because we didn't know anything about him, um, but when he when he really got going, it was like, oh my God, uh, Shane Warne's coming to play and we get to watch sorcery and wizardry and theatre and drama because uh, he was like kind of running. When he was bowling, he ran it. He ran the theatre of it. He, he, he worked the umpires over. He worked the batters over. He, he, he orchestrated his whole field. It was like watching the most perfect conductor at play it was mesmerizing. I mean, I even have a, a, an American sister-in-law who was forced to watch cricket when she married my brother. And she, you know, was polite about it um, and, and put up with it. But she fell in love with, with cricket when watching Shane Warne That's because cool. it was like, oh, my God, look what he's done with the ball. What, how has that done that? You know. And but I thought it went that way, and this one's gone that way. <laughs> I know that's what he does. <laughs> so how do you how do you handle that? I said, they don't. They don't handle it. That's the point, <laughs> you know. And uh, so you know th there was that theatre. But but he also did stuff when he wasn't playing for Australia, like coming over to Hampshire and mentoring players and being a huge part of the domestic scene. His love of cricket was so nurturing um, that his impact was felt way beyond his impact for Australia. It was what he gave to our our game by coming and showing an interest and actually once when he came over to be more involved in domestic cricket kind of coincided with England getting a lot better at it and I don't think that that's a coincidence I think he was actually very very helpful 
for English cricket's development. And then as a broadcaster, well, you know, I used to see him around a lot uh, in our broadcast boxes towards the, the latter part of his life. And he was just such a, he was exactly as he'd expected to be. He had absolutely no front whatsoever. Um, he'd have had a late night. He had a late night every night. So <laughs> occasionally he'd need to kip and you'd see him sprawled out on the sofa at Edgebaston. And then like he'd click straight into gear, get on the tools. And when talking about the things that he was best at talking about, he was mesmerizingly brilliant. And you, you hung on every word. Like every broadcaster, you know, there were some areas that he, he, he probably shouldn't have bothered with too much banter. He was fantastic. I, I don't want to hear him talk about golf. Never interested yeah, yeah. in people talking about golf. Stop talking about golf. If, if my co-commentator tries to talk to me about golf, I shut it down. I will not allow it. <laughs> it does not happen on Test Match Special on my watch. Good. But <laughs> if he's talking about cricket and he's talking about the tactics, not just of spin bowling, but what captain's trying to do, and how bowlers trying to get somebody out, yeah, you're just mesmerized because he's actually talking stuff that is relatable, understandable. He brings it to you in the right way, and he makes you feel clever. And that's that's a good that, that's a pretty mm. good thing for a broadcaster yeah. to do. I thought. Yeah, and, lovely words. You know, I've, I've got to say, yeah, England was genuinely heartbroken when he died, and that's yeah. that's quite a tribute because you know we have this. Antipathy. We have this rivalry, but um, he transcended it completely. He was he cut through the whole lot. Definitely, well said. Um, the last thing I was going to say, um, you mentioned Smith's hundred, and I've got self indulgently. I want to do on TikTok my twenty favorite Ashes moments in England. Um, can you tell me if I've if you, if you disagree largely with any of these or any that I've forgotten? Um, so you're going to go from, through all twenty. Yeah, I'm not going to do. A, I'm not going to do a summary of them all. No, I think I'm we just should going to go bang, 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 bang. Dan, what are you doing uh, for the next three how, hours? How far back are you? How, how far back are you going? Are, are we getting going to get Gilbert Jessup's hundred and two? <laughs> yes, that is that oh, is, is yeah. um, number fifteen. That is all right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> all right, so anyway, fire them out, Paul. Twenty is uh, Bradman nine and thirty at Lords. Um, Nineteen is the aforementioned Steve Smith innings. Um, at Edgebaston in in 2019. Um, 18 is Manchester 05. 70, so that's the uh, Ricky, Ponting, let, let Ricky Ponting draw. Let's just give enough yep. for the listeners. Oh, so for the listeners, know. yeah. I forgot that maybe not but all they're here. They're 17 is Massey's 16 wickets in 72. 16, Lovely. Stan McCabe's double century at the Oval in 38. 15 yep. is Gilbert Jessup, um, five consecutive boundaries and winning that match. 14 is the Aussie runs chase in 1948 at Headingley when Brabham got 173 not out. 13 is Edgebaston 81, Ian Botham taking five for one. 12, 38, uh, the Oval, Hutton's 364, Brabham breaking his ankle. Uh, 11 is the Victor Trumper match in 02 um, in that same series as Jessup. 10 is England regaining the Ashes for the first time in ages in 1926 at the Oval. Nine is the first time regaining the Ashes for ages in 1953 at the Oval. Eight is Lake attacking 19 wickets in 56. Seven is Bradman's duck in 48. Six is Shane Warne's ball of the century. Five, Bradman's 334 at Leeds. Four, not strictly speaking, the Ashes, but the 1882 match that kicked it all off that um, uh, yeah. Australia won by seven or eight runs. And then the top three, uh, which I could change order, but number three, 05 at Edgebaston with a nod to everything else that happened in 05 as well. Number two, Stokes, 
2019 and number one still headingly 81. Ooh. Yeah, can't really three. argue with that. Ooh. I know it's painful, isn't it? It is painful, it's painful yeah. for you guys. I mean, I, I think objectively it's hard to look beyond them because they were Stokes and both of them, those two games were just ridiculous. Yeah. When, when the sides win games that they had no right to win, and Australia, as a general rule, haven't done that because they, they tend to be better. So <laughs> they, they, they have fewer opportunities to win spectacularly because they're seldom behind the eight ball. I think that's, that's reflective, actually, of the fact that Australia have dominated longer periods of the rivalry. Um, and that's, I think, what made those, those two especially remarkable. Uh, I can't deny any of those from, a, from an England fan point of view Boycott reaching his hundredth hundred at Headingley was a that moment. Was Fifty-one that was. Seventy-seven. On my list. No, no. On my, on my yeah. list, I didn't. <laughs> I haven't gone all beyond that. Oh my Number god! 51. How how long is this list, Paul? Jeez. It is actually fifty-one or fifty-two, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I've cut it at top twenty for for, for TikTok yeah, purposes. I mean, <laughs> in terms of an actual singular moment. Um, that that was a, li- a bit, little bit like the ball of the century is, is, is better because you know the ball of the century was was uh, uh, the introduction of something incredible, but for a, for that kind of like snapshot two seconds when everybody goes completely berserk yeah, and the fact it's in Yorkshire the look, on the field, that's right. Mm. And I'm a Surrey man. Look, I'm a Surrey man, so it it, it sticks in my craw. Mm. Uh, you know, <laughs> my, my my hatred of Yorkshire hate, hatred is not the right word, but my desire to see Yorkshire lose is no less strong than my desire to see England beat Australia, quite honestly. <laughs> if anything, <laughs> it's a bit more. <laughs> I, I, I would be more devastated if Surrey lose to Yorkshire than if England lose to Australia because I kind of feel that, you know, fair enough, Australia. But Yorkshire, <laughs> and, and then, no. <laughs> and then I guess um, just on, on Ash's moments, and what's the, the, you know, when I sort of think of Ash's moments I've been at, I think of Steve Ward's last ball 100 at the SCG. That's the yeah, quintessential brilliant. moment, you know, just for energy. You know, what's the one you've been at, whether it's commentating or just as a fan, that you just that one Ashes moment? Joffre Archer hitting mm. Steve Smith at Lords was the most remarkable thing I've been a part of in a crowd. And it was because what it did to the crowd, um, in part because, you know, Phil Hughes's death isn't that long ago still. And it, was even less that long ago when it happened. And we were watching something that was so very complicated. I was actually not commentating that game. Um, I was I was there for post-match stuff. But I, I watched it in the Warner stand. So I was with the fans. And Joffre was running in. And there was this incredible excitement that bordered on the slightly distasteful, actually, that England had got a West Indian fast bowler representing them I'm not saying he's not English. He's, he's, he's you know, he's English. But um, it was almost like we had this toy that we'd never had before. And he was bowling so fast. And he was so terrifying. And he'd whipped the crowd up. Not deliberately. He hadn't done it. The crowd had whipped itself up into this frenzy of excitement. And they were baying for blood. And they wanted more than anything else to fell Steve Smith because of what Steve Smith represented you know he was their best player it wasn't long after Sam Papergate he had scored that hundred in the previous game his wicket was really vital and when he sconed him there was suddenly this oh my god what have we done because it looked really bad and he wobbled and he teetered and suddenly you saw a crowd like almost in one fell 
in one moment realize or think that they've been really irresponsible, mm. that they were actually kind of, they were egging this thing to happen. And what happened was really scary to see. Uh, and so that was, I think, the most bizarre, most viscerally hairs on the back of your neck, like, oh, my God, what are we witnessing? And then when Labashade came out and he hit him, yeah. Like, oh God. Oh God. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think that was, th- that was extraordinary uh, on a different level. It kind of transcended the cricket itself and went into all sorts of things like politics and psychology and weird stuff and theater and gladiators. And you suddenly felt, Oh my God, is this what it's like to watch Christians being eaten by lions? And it was like, Oh, uh, and you, well, you I've got to say, I didn't go off. that far when I was watching it. I didn't, no, I didn't. immediately <laughs> I didn't. think about the, the Romans, but I was beautifully <laughs> well, if you'd been there, if you'd been there, I promise you, you would have, yes. because, because it was, it was the, it was the, the raw for blood that was so mm. uh, compromising. It was, I was it watching was. it half drunk in the local pub with no sound, and I even got that, even like like a a vestige of that. Um, so it must have been, yeah, live. It must have been absolutely incredible. Yeah, uh, it must have been scary. a bit like what it was like for Aussies watching Lillian Thompson in that series. Mm. Uh, and I would, I would love to have been, I would love to have seen that. I mean, the, you could ask the, the things that I wish I'd been alive to see, and you've mentioned a whole bunch of them: Jessup and Trumper. Uh, the ones I really wanted to see, Bradman. I really wanted to see that three, three, four. You know, time machines. Those Jardine. Jardine. Well, I give him a big hug and tell him how much you admire him. Best thing the captain ever. Swine. I, I would love to have been at Adelaide that day when. Oh, you um, would have been, yeah. When, when Woodfield, when Oldfield, got Oldfield. Hit. Oldfield. Yep. Well, when Oldfield hit himself by deflecting the ball off the bat into yep. his face, uh, and no, poor no, old, no, 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 old no, no, no. Larwood got all the typical palms passing. No, no, it's true. It's true. It wasn't if even, every it ball wasn't halfway down the pitch. This would never have happened. That's true. Back in a kind of time, kind of time, and England ruined it. Um, well, look, McDonald and Gregory started it. McDonald and Gregory started it. Uh, we could be here for hours, so we'll get into the next 30 Ashes highlights of Paul's next time. Dan, Dan, thank you so much for joining us for this Ashes preview. It has been such pleasure, a pleasure to talk to you, and I know we're going to be hearing a lot of you over the next uh, few months on the radio, so can't wait for that. Best of luck with it. Have a great time with, you know, Colo and Jeff Lemon oh. and oh, Michael Vaughan's back. Are you happy about that? I am. He, I think he's, he's, he's uh, really good. He, he gives a test match special a really good edge, which is what I like. He's a really opinionated guy, and he's you know, he's always thrilling to work with. Um, but Sen, I, I I love working for Sen. Actually, it's a totally different style. I love working with Australian uh, radio because, do you know, uh, and I'm not just saying this because you're on this call. Australians really quite enjoy being wound up by the English, and they they give it back really well, and they take it in really good humour. And my role on SEN is to be that that sort of mm. the pantomime Englishman. And I get also to do adverts and I kind of enjoy them. You know, on BBC, if I say something like, uh, oh, this guy's a bit Marmite, then I have to say, well, there are other spreads you can put on your <laughs> toast at breakfast. Issue but, a full retraction. Issue exactly. a full retraction. 
On SEN, I get to say, and that ball's been struck to the boundary. Our boundaries with Blundstone. Right on with Blundstone. And on the Holman scoreboard, Holman for the smart gardener. The score moves to four for 144. <laughs> well, we can't wait for those ads. And, you, you know, the best ball ball by ball caller in England. So, fantastic. Aye, 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 aye. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to let this one go because, you know, I really, I really, you know, like to cause trouble. So, that Thank was... you. <laughs> but, but Dan, seriously... Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Dan. And it's always lovely talking to you guys. And best of luck. You're you're staying in Australia for this? You're going to be watching through the night? Yeah. So I was going to go over there, but just didn't eventuate. So, yep, I'll be up watching every single ball till 3.30 in the morning. Well, the very best of luck. Make sure you've got enough nibbles and booze and uh, (laughs) to keep yourself going. Because it's going to be we a roller coaster, and it probably probably won't be five days any of these games no. unless it rains. So you know, <laughs> at least it's not for too long. Yeah, Stokes's attitude of you know finishing games early will be good for our sleep for sure. Exactly. Like he won't be batting out the day. <laughs> no, he won't. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> This is a Piccolo Podcast production. 